there was a stranger on a long journey that seemed to have no end. At a time when many people were on journeys, on long paths, and the stranger was carrying a very large pot, which in itself was very odd because it was a very large pot and a stranger travelling alone does not necessarily need to carry a very large pot. The sun was beginning to drop and dusk was settling in and the stranger came to a village. The people watched from their windows and from the sides of the streets and from wherever they were. The stranger lit a fire and placed upon it the very large pot. The stranger filled the large pot with water and placed in the pot one smooth grey stone. Then they waited. What are you cooking? said one man, stepping out from the shadows. Stone soup, replied the stranger. Never heard of stone soup? Sounds odd. If you ask me. Oh, it's amazing. Stone soup is amazing. It's better than anything you've ever tasted. If you like, I'll share it with you when it's done. And the man said, all right, but I tell you, it might taste better with an onion. And he reaches down into his bag and produces an onion. And the onion was peeled and chopped and put in. Two boys were watching keenly from the side. Can we try your soup when it's done? It sounds fantastic. We've got some carrots that we pulled up from the field. We could put them in. Great, in went the carrots. A woman with three children huddled around her silently offered a potato. Smiles were exchanged and the potato went in too. A young man emerged from the shadows carrying a very skinny rabbit. I just caught this this morning. I was going to have him for my dinner. But your soup sounds amazing. And in went the rabbit. A man wrapped in a threadbare coat produced a turnip. Two women, a bag of herbs and some salt. One small girl, prompted by her grandmother, offered some other vegetables. And then a man approached, very quietly, very gingerly, and said, I don't have anything to put in your amazing soup, but I have my harmonica. I could play it while your soup boils. And so he played. And then a man with a violin joined in. And suddenly there was a crowd and there was great anticipation. And then the stranger announced that the stone soup was done. It was ready and everybody took part in the sharing of the stone soup. By the time the fire had died out, everyone had had their fill of the marvellous stone soup. The pot had been drained and there only remained in the bottom of the pot one smooth grey stone at the bottom of a much too large black pot belonging to a stranger nobody had ever met. The stranger picked up the stone, put it back in their pocket, picked up their pot and left. And everyone agreed that the stone soup was truly magnificent. So we've been talking about this idea of Jesus the game changer. If we can put the game changer slide up, that would be great. We've been talking about this idea of Jesus actually coming into the world and changing the game in a really big way. He changed the game for women in the Greco-Roman world. He changed the game when it came to humility. He changed the game when it came to forgiveness. And today I want to talk about the fact that I think he changed the game when it came to selflessness. Jesus taught the idea that all life was important, in fact sacred. He, He talked about the fact that 
all lives had great value. And he talked about the idea of caring for one another, sharing who is my neighbour, who is my brother. And the church that emerged afterwards, the followers of Jesus and the followers that followed the followers that followed in years to come, they really got it. And in fact, they got it so much to the degree that there's a, there's a story that says um, that when the Great Plague came, uh, that it hit the Roman Empire, it was stated that when all of the officials and the physicians and the, the rich people and pretty much everybody was fleeing the city because of the plague, the followers of Jesus were running in. Because they got it. They understood about how to be selfless, how to really care, how to embrace people and how to enter in fully. So what I'm wondering today is this. Am I on? Yes. What would it look like? What would it take? What, what would be necessary to change the axis of the world from selfie to selfless? What would it look like? What would be required? How on earth could that possibly happen? And I'm, I'm going to go with this. We need to reverse the lens. We all did that this morning. I was sitting with uh, someone and, and I said, let's take a selfie. And he said, you're going to have to teach me how. Turn that, t- that button right there. So if you didn't know how to take the selfie, that button there turns the lens from, o- from, from other to self. Okay? And what we need to do is to go back the other way. We need to go back the other way to make sure that the lens is pointing back out, less in and more out. So... I'm hoping that this morning um, encourage, encourages those of us who are already other-focused because, gee, many of us are, and I'll go into that in a minute. I hope that it inspires some of us who want to reach a greater level of what does it mean to be selfless in the world, and I hope that it gives us hope. So here's the story I want to talk about. It's a great story, and I believe it's a story that changed many, many people's lives. I'm just going to wave this because it's not working. Um, It's Matthew 14. If you want to follow along, you can look it up on your app. You're allowed to play with your phones. Look it up, check it out, follow along, open up your Bibles, whatever it is. Matthew 14. Jesus wanted to retreat to a quiet place. Is that going to work now? Watch. Everybody cheer. Hey, that's called the on button. (laughs) So this is Matthew 14, verse 13. When Jesus heard it, oh wait, when Jesus heard what? This is really important because this is where it starts, this story. When Jesus heard it, he went away to a deserted spot by himself. When Jesus heard what, what could make him want to back away, retreat, turn inwards and look for another spot? Leave me alone, everybody. Seriously, just leave me alone. Well, it comes just off the back of his cousin being killed. 
So there was this guy, John the Baptist, and when Jesus was in his mother Mary's tummy, she went to visit her friend Elizabeth who had John the Baptist and there was like a thing and there was a connection and Jesus and John the Baptist were cousins and they grew up and they were on mission together and John the Baptist was baptising people and then he baptised Jesus and they were doing this God thing together and Jesus had just heard, by the way, you know your cousin John? He's just been killed. In fact, beheaded. It was terrible. I practiced this story yesterday with my 13-year-old son and he said, Mum, make, make it less gruesome. But it is that gruesome. It was awful. And Jesus was in this place where he was, in my son's word, gutted, Mum. He was probably gutted. And I think he was gutted. And he, when he heard it, he went away to a deserted spot by himself. But he didn't get to be in the deserted spot for very long because as soon as he went off, found his deserted spot, had a few moments alone with God the Father to to begin this, you know that thing that you do when you're gutted? That whatever that was, that was what Jesus was doing. That, oh, I'm broken, that pouring out, that I need to be stitched up or I'm going to bleed to death here, that thing. He's doing that with God and the crowds had followed him. They heard where he was and they were utterly desperate for the man of Jesus and they followed to the desolate place. Send the crowds away so they can go into the villages and buy food for themselves, said his disciples. Because we know that Jesus needs a bit of time for himself. Seriously, back them all up send them away, let them go and find food because there's thousands of them, thousands of people and it's nearly dinner time and where are they going to go and really, let's be honest, give the man some space. He's grieving here and this is Jesus' response. They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. So right there in that gap between those words And the next words, I want to ask the question, what happened? Because if we can work out what happened there, then we can actually work out how to change our world. What happened that caused Jesus from being alone with his father and gutted to turning around and having compassion? He turned his pain into compassion. So the story goes on. Uh, All we have here, they said, is five loaves of bread and two fish. So they scoured around and they said, "Uh, we found someone, we found some food, don't worry. We've got this little kid. He's like a little guy and he's pulled out of his satchel a hanky and one, two, three, four, five, five little tiny, probably little fish, little, little ones, and a couple of little loaves of bread. We've got that. That's all we've got. Jesus, you're being ridiculous. We couldn't possibly feed the masses. There's thousands of them. In fact, one of the guys with a calculator did some calculating and he said, if we were to try and feed all of these people, it would cost us like a year's wage. It's never going to... More. It's, it's enormous. It's ridiculous. It can't be done. And Jesus looks at the boy with his tiny hanky of play lunch and says, hmm, I can work with that. I can work with that. He told the crowds to sit down on the grass. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish. Is that right? 
Was it three, five fish? Anyway, he took the little play lunch. He took the play lunch and he looked up to heaven and he blessed the loaves and he broke them and he gave them to his disciples and the disciples gave them to them. I just for a moment want you to underline in your heads, bless the loaves, broke them and gave them to the disciples. Okay, just underline that. We're going to come back to that in a minute. Everybody ate and was satisfied. What? 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 And so I asked my Jack, you know, what happened there? He's 13. And he goes, well, you know, Jesus like took it and when he breast, and then, and then he put, he, he gave it to the disciples and every time they broke it, it multiplied. And every time they broke it, it multiplied. And every time they broke it, it multiplied. And then my Charlie said, no, people had it in their pockets and shared it. And I looked at both those answers and went, both would be a miracle. Either way, I believe that Jesus is utterly capable of multiplying and multiplying and multiplying and multiplying and multiplying. But I also believe that Jesus is capable of switching people's hearts from self to other. And I reckon that's what happened in between those other two lines is Jesus took himself to God and then out of the beginning of the repair looked out to other completely off my notes. So, what I don't want is for people to go away today and go, well, she just said we have to do more. We have to think of others more. Yes, that's exactly what I want you to think. Except for the fact that I do think these guys on the aeroplanes have got a, they've got an idea. When you get on the plane and they give you the safety announcement, they say, and if an emergency the oxygen masks fall from the roof, please fit your own before fitting those of the children or the people who need help beside you. If someone is drowning and you cannot swim, don't leap in. Fix yourself. That's what Jesus did. He went first to a desolate place to his father, but he didn't stay there. He went. So fix your oxygen masks first. Selflessness does not look like me always last. It looks like me first enough to repair, to be able to give. Then Jesus turns the pain into compassion. I've thought long and hard about whether to share this, but I'm going to. So I've been in a very, very deep grieving place this year. Um, So back at the beginning of the year, I uh, took a weekend and I went up to New South Wales and for the first time in 43 years, I met my biological mum. And it was wonderful and amazing and fantastic. But when I came home, I plummeted into grief. Grief of the person I haven't had for 43 years. And, and I, was, I was in a very deep grief place and so I went to God and I sat before God and I cried before God and I asked him and he opened up an amazing story called The Prodigal Son and he taught it to me afresh in a brand new way and and began to stitch up some of the wounds. And that's not the story I want you to go home with today but what I want you to hear is months and months and months later I sat with Jessie Bleakley. She gave me permission to tell this this morning. I sat with her at her kitchen table And we grieved together because this year she lost her mum. And it was really hard. And we both said, 
it's not fair and it's too hard and where's God and we're sad and we're hurt and we're broken and then we both agreed that at some point we had realized that that God hurts and grieves our grief too. He gets it and he's riding shotgun with us in the hurt that we're, we're walking through. And I realized if I hadn't taken my hurt to God and asked him to begin stitching it up, I would have just sat opposite her going, I don't get it. I mean, I'm sad for you, but I'm not sad with you. And that's the big difference that it brings. There's pity, I feel sad for you. And there's sympathy. Uh, no, wait, I, pity, I feel sad you know, about your situation. Sympathy, I feel sad for you. Empathy, I feel your pain. Compassion, I'm moved by your pain to action. And my hurt allowed me to move to empathy and compassion. And I think that's exactly what happened to Jesus. So back to the story, the little boy, he's the hero in this. He's got his play lunch and he could have just kept it hidden away. I'm not sharing this because later I'm going to be all kinds of hungry. There's no way I'm sharing it. But he didn't. He brought out his selflessness and he offered it. And what did God do with it? He multiplied it. He took his tiny play lunch and made it into a great feast. So Jesus had said, no, don't send them away, let them stay. The boy said, this is all I've got, and God turned it into heaps. So I want to say this statement, and then I'm going to tell one more story. No, lots more stories, sorry. Don't build bigger fences by longer tables. If we build bigger fences, we're keeping people out. And Jesus could have done that in that moment. He could have said, yes, disciples, keep all the people away. I'm not interested. Put up a fence. But he didn't. He took his pain that was beginning to heal and he invited people in to a great meal. What if we lived our lives like that? What if we lived our lives, small offences, open gates, longer tables? I also have permission to tell this story. It's, uh, it's Jeff's birthday on Christmas Day. Some of you will know Jeff. I don't know where he is, wandering around somewhere. It's just birthday and Christmas Day. And I heard, there he is, I heard a little story the other day that, uh, that Darren over here has invited him to his place for Christmas. That's what I'm talking about right there. That's what I'm talking about right there. And they're going to have a birthday cake and a Christmas cake. It's going to be marvellous. And they're going to make their table bigger. It's good. It's very good. Now... What we don't want to do is think that we've got to feed everybody. What we don't want to do is think we've got to change the entire world. What we don't want to do is think that the, every solution depends on our actions. All we have to do is look at what is in our hands and look at who is in front of us and look at what our pain has led us to have compassion. That's all we have to do. So the other week... Uh, the other day I was listening to the news. There's been a, a stabbing in the US. No, a, a mass shooting in the US. There was a stabbing in Melbourne where someone went off the rails and we were talking about it with the kids in the car and talking about what a tragedy it is for the people who lost their lives 
And then my heart went to what a tragedy it is that those people who committed those crimes did not have somebody to embrace them. We don't know. We don't know what was going on in their life. But oh, for the lack of a village. Like what if? What if someone had called those people that week and said, how about we catch up for a coffee? What if someone had said, why don't you come and help me at community meals? Come and dish up some soup. What if someone had said, why don't you come with me to a Sunday morning gathering? What if someone had actually said, what have I got in my hands and who's in front of me? That's actually how we change the world. We look at who's in front of us and we think about uh, who we're being pointed at. This is uh, Isaiah 58. And if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. If you spend yourself... Now, it's not a formula. If I spend myself, then miraculously I'll suddenly be all fantastic. But I think the two go hand in hand. I think the two go hand in hand. Keeping in mind, fit your own oxygen mask first. But wherever you can, if you are spending yourself on behalf of those around you, then something wells up in you. Something changes in you. Something of deep satisfaction changes within you. So uh, here's the reason that we can do what we do. Because when it comes to selflessness, there is no one more selfless than the person of Jesus. Jesus gave up everything in the kingdom of heaven and came to earth and humbled himself as a human, in fact, as a human baby, and grew and lived and taught and ushered in the kingdom of God. And then when it came down to it, he looked with compassion upon the people and he said, I will spend myself on behalf of the hungry and the needy and the lost and the broken and the poor. And he did. He gave up his life on a cross. He utterly spent himself so that we can come into a relationship with God and find wholeness and find life like a water, like a well springing up within us. That's what Jesus did. And it's out of that recognition that we can actually then spend ourselves and look around ourselves and turn our pain into our compassion and use whatever's in our hands. <clears throat> the reality is we can actually do a lot. So I'm talking we now, the NCR, wider community, the wider family. There are hundreds of us. What might we do? What might we be capable of if we decided to turn our pain into compassion and spend ourselves on behalf of the other? We might run bargain browsers, we might run community meals, we might invite people over, we might change lives, we might ring up somebody and say hello. It's not rocket science, but we might do amazing things in the world. And that's the way in which God's going to change the world. That's how I think things will shift on their axis. So 
You know before when I said in that passage earlier, when Jesus took the little boy's play lunch and he got the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to the disciples? Well, this is what it says in Matthew 26. So this is not long before Jesus went to the cross and gave up his life for everybody. It says, now they were eating, so Jesus and his, his disciples, his buddies, his followers, and Jesus took the bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples. Take and eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he said to them, drink it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness, forgiveness of sins. Fan's going to come up and we're going to turn our attention to the table that we've been called to. Because in this story, in this scenario, we are the hungry, the broken and the lost who are in need of Jesus. And he invites us to his great banquet. He invites us to his table. And in that image of him breaking the bread and talking about the fact that his body was going to be broken for us, and it was. And he took the cup and he poured it out and he talked about his blood being poured out for us, and it was. It's out of recognising that the, the, the most selfless human on the face of the earth was Jesus and he did it for us that we can actually come uh, and, and share the bread and the juice together. Um, I'm just going to check the time. It's 11.05 and today is the 11th of the 11th and five minutes ago it was 11. I wonder if this morning we might do two things. We might come up and take the bread and the juice and say thank you Jesus for being the most selfless and spending yourself on behalf of me. And listen if he asks you something. He might say please let me heal you because you have gaping wounds. Or he might say, I have so much I want to do through you. So just listen. The other thing you might do is you might have your moment of silence today. You might have your moment of silence where remember, I think it's 100 years since the end of World War I when lots of people gave their lives in a selfless act. I wonder if you might reflect on that as well and take a moment and say, what does it mean to be selfless in a selfie world? Because I think that if we listen to God and we respond to him, we'll actually shift the axis of the world. We'll actually shift it, maybe just slightly, so that one more person feels included, one more person feels loved, one more person feels embraced, one more tummy is less hungry, one more nation has another team that's going to support them. One more project has more funds to fund it. What would it look like for the people of NCR to spend themselves on behalf of the hungry because Jesus spent himself on our behalf? I'm going to wander over here. Join me. Take the bread and take the cup and have a moment of silence in your own while the music plays. <laughs>